content warning, suicide ideation, uh, rape, molestation, child abuse, um, and domestic violence. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, you know, could be easily why this is banned or challenged. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just did the whole episode. I think it's yeah, over. We just did the whole episode. We, we, we got it. Burn This Book, a banned books book club where we, Nicole and Eden, read a banned or challenged book twice a month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. <coughs> I am so sorry. Tis the season. Um, this week's book is The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky, which was published in 1999. Um... We're re-recording this episode because our last one didn't have enough heart, in my opinion. So (laughs) I know it is a hot take and I'm wasting Eden's pregnant time to sort this out. I'm so pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) As I pull up a blanket over me. It's also very chilly today and I don't want to wear pants. So I just am in a dress. So let's do a little synopsis of what the what Perks of Being Wallflower is about. Um, would you like to do it, Eden? Is that okay? Sure can. Thank you. Um, readers will find that it is very similar to Catcher in the Rye because it very much is uh, inspired by Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of, well, it takes place over a school year. Charlie starts his freshman year at this high school and he really wants to, quote-unquote, participate. Um, so he's trying to get involved. He he sees a bunch of, yeah, just like, he really likes his, sorry. I do hear me back. But you do. Take out one of your headphones. Maybe that'll help. Hi. Testing. That does help. Thank you. Okay, good. Okay. Um, so he goes to school. He really loves his in- English class. Um, it's his favorite class so far. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to do the summary, Eden? <laughs> I promise Eden read the book multiple times. Book. Sorry, yeah. I just like my brain kept on like cutting to the movie. So I'm like, his teacher's Paul Rudd. <laughs> His aunt is Melanie Linsky. Yeah, there we go. Okay, I can focus. I can focus. But uh, he falls into... uh, He doesn't fall into... He meets uh, two kids at a football game um, because he's participating in high school now. So he is going to football games. He's trying to meet people. And he meets Sam and Patrick at the football game. Patrick is, uh, they're step-siblings, so Sam's dad married Patrick's mom, and uh, just from the get-go, they kind of just hit it off and become really good friends. Patrick and Sam, I think, have a, they feel sort of parental to him, Mm -hmm. Um, so they take him under their wing, he starts hanging out with their friends, who then become his friends. Um, and it's just about Charlie. He's writing the format of the book is he's writing letters to someone. He's writing letters to you, but he never addressed like he addresses it to you, mm-hmm. but you don't know who you are. 
Um, maybe he, maybe he is just addressing us as a, as the reader. Honestly, um, and he, he's writing these letters as a way to just, um, get through high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then just like along the way, little things happen as, as they do in a high schooler's life. Um, he witnesses some things, uh, yeah. There's just like a lot of little things that happen. Yeah, yeah. He's a. I don't know how to. No, that was perfect. He is. He's just. He's living. It's very coming of age, so he's seeing a lot of stuff happen, but it's also putting together puzzle pieces of his own trauma, of his own understanding of his own trauma. Yep. There you go. Yeah. We're gonna talk about why this is, um, why it's important to read this. Yeah. And I think something to note also that I didn't realize until this last read, and I went back after we recorded our like first draft of this episode, and I went back and looked at like notes and things. I looked at my book. I realized we never talked about why Charlie was choosing to participate. He was choosing because his best friend had died by suicide that summer before his freshman year. Right. And he was, yeah, and he was brought in along with the other couple people that were close with that person. And they were brought into like a counselor's office to talk about stuff. And, um, and it was during that time that Charlie was like, okay, this year it has to be different. I'm, I don't have my best friend and I don't know why he died. I don't know, understand this. Like he's kind of going through a lot of stuff. So we, we see the beginning of the book of like, he is processing his friend's death and he's going into high school and he doesn't have any friends because the other friends have moved on to other groups and they, none of no one really wants to talk about that friend who died. And so Charlie is like entering into high school with that. <laughs> and then we're focused on the fact that he's mourning this situation. And then we realize that he's also been unwell mentally throughout his childhood. And he's been institutionalized before as a kid. Um, and they believe it's because of his aunt's, um, aunt's horrible car. Like she died in a car accident and they were very close. And that's when he was first institutionalized. He had like a, a pretty intense um, breakdown. And we don't really know what his diagnosis is. We don't really get into any of that. But we know that, like, his parents and siblings are, like, aware that he that his he has some stuff that he's got to work through. And they don't, don't really know when it's going to hit. But it's kind of stressful him going into his freshman year without any friends or without anybody. It's very lonely. Yeah, yeah poor Charlie. Yeah, poor Charlie. Um, and I... I first saw this book when there were like my whole school. I don't know if other high schools had this, but we had a, like, I'm from Colorado and there is a teen suicide. I don't know if we can use the word epidemic, if that's appropriate, but Colorado, Utah, the mountain West has like some of the highest numbers for teen suicides. And I don't know why. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's wealth. I don't, I don't know what's happening, but um but they're like my high school, my freshman year, a really popular kid passed away and um, died by suicide. And we just kept seeing, um, seeing this pattern happen. And I've lost multiple friends by suicide too. And so it was interesting. My high school, this book was really important because I think we were very aware of mental illness. So it was like spread around like wildfire. Like everyone loved Perks of Being a Wallflower. It was a very popular book. Um, and I don't think my parents ever read it. Um, I don't think any adults ever told us to read it. It's just like, this was like the book that we were like, this is me. This is me. Like we were all very moody and really saying like, this book is me more than any other book we'd ever read at 10. So that was like 2006 through 2010. 
that era was like, this book was like everything to everyone in my high school. It felt like, I don't know if that was the reality, but I know with my group of friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so you have that theme of like suicide that hits you in the very beginning. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there's domestic violence. His sister is hit by a boyfriend and Charlie witnesses it and is like pretty heartbroken about it. Tells his teacher about it. Um, and his teacher's also there doing Teach for America. Let's note that also. <laughs> like, that is so of that era. It's so crazy. It's like the high time for Teach for America. He's there teaching Teach for America. It's his first year. And the teacher tells the parents. The parents get it settled. Um, and the parents are very worried. And you just see, like, I don't know. I fell in love with Charlie's parents so much in this book. Mm-hmm. And Charlie is the most likable character I've ever read in my entire life. He loves everyone so much and just wants everyone to be happy and okay uh-huh yeah he's a sweet boy <laughs> he's so sweet um, and and with his parents too like after his he told his teacher uh that his his sister was hit um his teacher reported to his parents and then his parents took matters into their own hands so they're like hey daughter you're not to see this boyfriend again they went to the boyfriend's house and told the boyfriend's parents like hey just to let you know your son hit my daughter yeah um so it feels like very responsible adults uh in this book uh in charlie's life who who want him to be better and want him to want to protect their children and stuff like that yes that's i think the theme like the big takeaway that i had this round was like all the parents are awesome. I mean, all the adults, the teacher mm-hmm. is wonderful. He's appropriate. He has good boundaries, but he's also like a consistent figure. Um, the parents are amazing. They're not perfect, obviously, but they like try really hard. And, um, and the school and then all of his doctors are also seem like they're really on top of it. And it's interesting because throughout the book, Charlie's psychiatrist or psychologist, I'm not sure who he's meeting with. He just says, my doctor keeps asking questions about his childhood. And Charlie's like, that's so weird. I don't want to talk about my childhood. I don't know why they want to talk about my childhood. So as the reader, we're walking through this, through his letters to us, understanding like there's something going on with Charlie's childhood, but like, I don't know. And he keeps bringing up that he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) And so like, we are seeing this whole picture being painted and, um, in the end unravel to us as it's un- unraveling to charlie too yes it's so brilliant how it was done um and in the end we find out that he had been abused by his aunt who he loved so much and mm-hmm. somehow in the end charlie still has space to love her and see her as this amazing person but also space to acknowledge what happened and how that impacted him and how angry he is about it and mm-hmm. he he gives this little like piece in one of his letters that like who do I blame? Do I blame her or do I blame her parent, her stepdad or stepparent or whatever who for abusing her? Do I blame that person for abusing him? Like, where does this end in the blame game? And he was like, so I can't blame anyone. I just have to acknowledge this is what it is. And it's okay because life is still beautiful. And he like, it's so, he's the most generous character ever. He's so generous with everyone. Everyone that makes a mistake, he still gives them space and ability and is like, He's just so generous. So that's like his whole saga of his mental health. But then we don't even get into his friend group who are so electric and interesting. And um, 
like the dream cool marginal like on the margins of the high school friend group that like we all wish we had yeah Emma Watson as our mother (laughs) (laughs) Mae Whitman yeah I wish I was friends with them too (laughs) Emma Watson plays Sam the girl that Charlie loves so much who's Mm -hmm. a senior and Sam doesn't love him back that way but uh, she also experienced childhood abuse and um, uh, sexual abuse. And so they, like, talk about that. But she's, mm-hmm. like, so cool. She listens to cool music. She's, like, artsy. She, like, is doing her own thing. Um, and she dances like a crazy person. And she has cool – I shouldn't say crazy. I'm trying to say that. She dances like a very free person. Mm-hmm. And um, they just do these things that make Charlie feel like he's infinite. Yeah. They, they, all of, all of his friends have very full lives, mm-hmm. which, which is really interesting because we don't, like, we spend time with them, but not so much time that we're like, oh, like, I wonder, like, there, there's no question about, like, the choices they would make if they were, like, if they were faced with certain choices. Because um, I feel like it would be very easy to write these characters as like a manic pixie dream girl and a yes. manic pixie dream boy. Yes. Uh, and Patrick, the, the stepbrother. Um, but like they very much have full lives outside of Charlie. And yes, I don't know. Yeah. He wrote that really well. Steven wrote that super well. Steven. Yeah. They're brilliant. Honestly, like between Sam and Patrick, um, they go through a lot of stuff. Patrick's like dating the closeted quarterback and then um, he gets outed and then he like disappears from school. The quarterback does. And then he comes back to school and pretends like Patrick doesn't exist. Yeah. And they get into like a fist fight because some slurs are used. And then Charlie steps in. There's like a lot of like, there's a lot of things happening to Patrick <laughs> that Charlie is witnessing um, as a wallflower does. Yeah. And, um, and Eden brings up the, brought up this really good point when we talked last time. Charlie, in his witnessing, is also a very passive participant mm-hmm. in a lot of this stuff, which could be his personality or it could be a part of how he copes with trauma or mm-hmm. it could be a trauma response. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you want to go into that, Eden. Yeah, definitely. So I volunteer as a CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocate um, it's basically we hang out with foster kids and we communicate to their lawyer the things that we think um, the, their lawyer should know in the reunification process with the foster child and their um, parents. And I went to a conference uh, for the volunteers and we we had some guest speakers there. And one, one guest speaker was from uh, Touchstone Therapy. Um, so she, she's a child therapist, child and teen therapist, and she talked about, uh, fight, flight and freeze, but then she introduced a new one that I hadn't heard, which was fawn. Um, and these are responses to like a, a child or a, any person, mm-hmm. any person's stress responses. Um, so they could fight, uh, so those are anger moments, dominating play, arguing, thirst for win, controlling, audacity. Uh, they could freeze, dissociation, feeling numb, shutting down, can't make decisions, can't move, daydream. They can flight, 
absconding, withdrawing into self, isolating from others, disconnecting from body, restless and fidgeting, overthinking, or they can fawn. Pleasing of people, perfectionism, can't say no, lack of identity, clinging, and repressing one's own needs. And um, yeah, reading this or learning about this, having read, reread Perks of Being a Wallflower, it was just so evident to me that Charlie is fawning in these stressful stressful situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so like one example of that, like Patrick um, is really, really sad and upset about the closeted boyfriend who called him a slur and basically just like ignores him. Um, and so in his sadness, he reaches out to Charlie and he kisses him and Charlie lets him kiss him. Um, and Sam even uh, uh, approaches, wait, mm-hmm. yeah, Sam approaches Charlie later and asked him, did you even want Patrick to do that to you? And Charlie said, not really, but I thought I could do it so he would feel better. Um, Mm -hmm. And that feels like a very fawning response, like a pleasing of people, like knowing that um, I, I can make the situation better if I let this person do what they want to me. Mm -hmm. And so um, in the conference, she talks about it in the context of abuse. Um, So oftentimes, like, not oftentimes, depending on the child's response, if they're a fawner, they'll like go and comfort the adult, sit on their lap, do all these things that they know the adult has asked of them before. And they do it because they hope to please that adult mm-hmm. uh, in a stressful situation. Um, yeah. So that, that just like points to, yeah. Reading this book now being a little bit more trauma informed definitely changes the way I look at Charlie. Um the perks it's interesting it's called the perks of being a wallflower because there there are so many downsides to being a wallflower but mm. it, I think it lends to like what you were talking about earlier how it ends really hopefully yeah there are some perks to it and Charlie was able to see the good side of of things even as a wallflower yeah I think also him being a wallflower he noticed the people that he wanted to have in his life mm-hmm. um like he he noticed Patrick um, at the in his woodshop class being a, a, a little goofball, and that's why he approached Patrick and Sam at the football game because he was like, "I really want to meet this person." Yeah. Um, I think like he was it allowed Charlie to be. It was interesting because Charlie is very complex, complex as most teenagers are, but he he was very intentional about approaching Char- uh, Patrick and Sam. And about how he would help them, even though there was like a, a mixture of being passive and intentional in that he he knew that he didn't want to be kissed by Patrick, but he also knew that he that it was just happening. Um, and Charlie never voiced that he didn't want to be, but it, it, I, it almost felt like a little bit more like an exploration in addition to that kind of freeze or fawn response. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he, Charlie was like proud that he was probably the only person in his family who had a gay friend that was out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he mentions that <laughs> that's out. Um, 
so there's all these parts where it's like, I don't know what is coming of age, what is about development and trial and error that happens when you're growing up, and also what is a trauma response. And I think that's where it's so complicated because you can still have senses of control in your life and also be responding with trauma with these coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just like you are completely wandering alone in this world without like any sort of sense of self. Charlie still knew who he was. He wanted to be a writer. He knew all that stuff, but he still was responding in those moments mm-hmm. like that. And I think, I think we paint trauma very uh, complex. I think we paint it too simply. I think we paint it with a broad stroke and I like this addition of Fawn because yeah. um, I do think he's probably a people pleaser by uh like in- inherently, I think he's probably a people pleaser. And then I'm mm-hmm. sure the trauma amped it out about physical boundaries. I mean, there's even another part in the book where he's at a part, he's, his brother's having a party at his house when he's like in middle school and he's in his room and he's been told to stay in his room and he witnesses a couple come into his room and the man rapes the woman. Um, they're also teenagers. So these teenagers and Charlie just witnesses it and can't leave. He freezes completely. Like he can't leave. He can't say anything. He doesn't know what to do. He just freezes. Um, and then he gets in trouble because they're like, why are you still in the room? Um, but like, there's all those things which are like such textbook responses, like you're saying. And I think, Mm -hmm. um, but yet somehow throughout like embedded in each of these letters is this bit of Charlie being like, love you always to the, whoever he's writing to. And also saying, like, I just really want that person to be happy. I really want that person to heal. I really want that person to to whatever. And, like, even his love for Sam, which he knows is physical also, he at one point is like, I knew I wanted her to be happy more than I wanted her to be with me. And that's Mm -hmm. how I knew I really loved her. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. What a pure little boy. I know. (laughs) He's so sweet. He's so good. Um. Yeah. You said that you didn't like it the first time you read it, Eden. Why didn't you? I didn't. Oh, no, no. Or the second time. Second time I read it. Wait, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So the first time I read it, I loved, yeah, it it flipped for me. So I hated Catcher in the Rye and I loved Perks of Being a Wallflower. And Perks (laughs) of Being a Wallflower made me understand Catcher in the Rye. It's like, oh, I understand Holden just a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I think it's because Charlie felt more of an empathetic character. Yes. Um, and more of like a, oh, he just loves everyone versus Holden's like, he's a phony. She's a phony. Yeah. Holden is so cynical. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, but then this time around, I really loved Catcher in the Rye and didn't like Perks as much. Um, which is funny. Maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe that means I'm a bit more cynical. It's like, oh, Holden. <laughs> phony everything around us is phony and like with charlie it's like oh no one can love that purely please (laughs) and honestly his love for the people that purely could also be part of his response to his friend dying like i know when my like i think that there's there's a fear like when my first friend died by suicide greg um, I, I just remember being like very nervous that anyone was at the edge and I remember wanting everyone to it for everyone to be okay. And it was very like 
there wasn't stressful, but it was constantly in the back of my mind. Like I was just aware more than anything else that, that any of these people could, could go. And I don't know if that's at all what Charlie's going through either, but I just also sense like Charlie loves his parents so much. He wants to give his mom a gift for his birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves his dad so much. Thinks his dad is just incredible. He's so excited about his brother calling him and talking to him on the phone while he's at college. Like he just loves these people so unconditionally and his, oh, nuts. And his sister, he loves her so much, even though she's kind of mean to him sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But like, and I don't sense that any of that has to do with the suicide, but I wonder if like looking around the school, I don't know. I'm just curious about like all of those responses, if that's going to last. But people have yeah. proved him right though. That's the other thing in this book. Mm-hmm. His parents prove him right. His siblings prove him right, that his love does matter. And um, his friends all prove him right. Um mm-hmm. Like, they really show up for him, especially when he gets institutionalized again. Um, Yeah, so so maybe, Eden, if you love people more, (laughs) they'll prove you right. (laughs) Maybe so. Oh, we'll have to give it a try. Stop calling people phonies first. (laughs) You're walking around, your daughter, you're like, don't be a phony, Mabel. (laughs) She's like, phony? What does this mean? Um, something that was wild to me was that my most recent read was a different edition than the read I read in high school. This one was oh. like post 2015 edition. So there's an afterword where Charlie is writing to someone again, and it's like published that, in 2015. Yeah. Was that in the original, like the one you read in high school? I don't school? think it was in the original. Yeah, that was wild for me. Um, yeah. I guess Stephen added it where he's making sure that we know that Charlie is okay. Yeah. And that Charlie's still friends with Sam and Patrick and all of the other people. And um, yeah, like it's really interesting. I didn't feel like it was necessary, but I think it was just like, it was just a little bit of sugar to say like, he's okay. Also, these books have been, I mean, these letters have been shared all around the world for people just mm-hmm. like you and me. It was like kind of laying it on a little thick for me, but yeah. you know, it was a little too gooey where I was like, okay, we get it. We get yeah. it. Charlie's letters are life-changing. Yeah. It, 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 um, it was in response to readers letters. I'm guessing. Oh, so, like readers letters, probably writing in, Hey, like, is Charlie okay? Probably. Or maybe like re- responding to the letters Charlie's are writing to you, the reader, yeah. and maybe the reader, like maybe at the end of it, I imagine like, do you think kids from your high school might have written a letter to Stephen Chbosky and been like, "Dear Charlie, no, I hope you're okay." I don't know. <laughs> but there's got to be some kids who did that. Otherwise, like, how, maybe why would that or have maybe they wrote Stephen and they're like, "Hey, Stephen, is Charlie okay?" Yeah. Like, I just don't, I have a hard time with the idea that, like, if these high schoolers are reading this book that's pretty intense and it mirrors a lot of stuff that's going on in their own lives, that they would still, like, keep that illusion up that Stephen is Charlie. That's right. (laughs) I have a hard time. I can see some, like, really artsy kid who's like, oh my gosh, like, maybe, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I could see that too. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, well, yeah. Uh, uh, I found out that Stephen Chbosky produced 
or directed the Dear Evan Hansen uh, musical. No, not the musical, the movie. Oh, whoa. Which feels like another, yeah. It's similar a theme. similar theme, similar era. Yeah. I think, I think. And similar letters. Similar. <laughs> <laughs> Same penmanship. So yeah. it is true. Similar content in those letters. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's something about Stephen Chbosky and this idea of loss as a kid and trauma as a kid that he really like holds on to. He was really good friends with the guy who wrote um, Rebel Without a Cause, that James Dean, Natalie Wood movie, which is very similar to this story. And now knowing this, I'm like, maybe Rebel Without a Cause, maybe James Dean char- James Dean's character had also gone through some sort of something horrific as a child that we don't know about. Why he's so pent up if you've seen that movie. It's a perfect yeah. movie to talk about Catcher in the Rye, honestly. And they're all in the yeah. same, they're all in the same universe and the same themes. And I just think they all partner really well together. But mm-hmm. that was interesting that Stephen Chbosky was that way. He also wanted to write screenplays. So that's, I think, why he did such a good job with each character, why it transitioned to film so well. He also mm-hmm. directed the movie, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, but the characters are all so colorful and so vibrant. Like he does such a good job. Mm-hmm. With even the dad, like when the brother brings up that his sister was beaten, was punched by his or slapped, hit by her boyfriend in like a way to like undermine her. He like brings that up in like an argument to undermine her. The dad turns around and just glares at the brother. And it's very clear that the brother overstepped. The dad doesn't say anything, but you just know the energy that that dad is giving. And he like cries mm-hmm. at the, the series finale of MASH. And that's like, Charlie knows that. And that's like their little secret. And the dad like sits right between the sister and the brother after that argument in the car and makes Charlie drive. And it's like his first time driving his family. Like you just, you feel the whole tension. You can see all of it. Like it's so good. It's so well written. Um, also, Eden, you brought up another really great point last time. Sorry that I'm just yeah, spoon feeding no this. That he's a keep, Charlie is such a keeper of secrets. Some are better than others. Many uh-huh. are terrible, and it's it's a learned thing that he's very normal in his life, I'm sure, since his aunt had harmed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's probably – I wonder if Charlie would see it as a perk of being a wallflower. I'm just like, mm. oh, people just trust me to keep secrets. Yeah. Um, but, like, he he kept the secret – like, he doesn't know the name of the boy and the girl who he saw – um, at the party, yeah. Um, when the boy raped the girl, um, he keeps the secret of Brad, the quarterback, and yeah. Patrick. He keeps um, his sister does have an abortion. He keeps that secret, yeah. And he kept the the hitting a secret too until he told his teacher because he's like, this is just weighing on me. Like, yeah. Um, and then the secret of. Well, secrets come out too. Like uh, Sam's boyfriend, college boyfriend, cheated on her multiple mm-hmm. times, and so like it's just like a bunch of secrecy around everything. But he even goes to a park with Patrick while Patrick's like really sad. Oh yeah, and he sees like the sportscaster on the TV, and he knows that he was trying to pick up Charlie. Like, Charlie knows that he was trying to pick him up and then realizes that, like, Charlie wasn't interested. But he, like, now knows this secret about this sportscaster. Yeah. Um, that he, like, knows he cannot reveal. And it's just, like, all, yeah. Secrets with strangers, even. Yeah. Secrets are, yeah. 
And, and yeah, we're, we're starting to teach my daughter that there are no secrets. There are only surprises or like hidden things. And yeah. there's a shortcut that we can take from one street to another on our, in our neighborhood. And we, before Greg and I would just call it the secret path, mm-hmm. just as an easy way to talk about it. But now we've changed that to the hidden path because we don't want to make going to the secret path uh, an exciting thing. Yeah. That's so I think that's important because like secrets are things. Yeah. I I just want to like drill into my daughter. Like we don't keep secrets in this family. Yeah. We can keep surprises. So like, Oh, this is going to be a surprise party for mom. It's not a secret. It's a surprise because we get to tell mom. Yeah. 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 That's so good. And I've thought a lot about my role as an, as an aunt, um, as an auntie with my nieces and nephews. And it is that idea. Like, the secrets I do not have secrets with them that their parents don't know if we tell a secret like we're gonna make cookies tonight I tell their parents immediately what we talked about because it is just like I don't ever want to model um an exclusive relationship with an adult for my nieces and nephews I want them to know that like I want to model a healthy, you know, I want them to know if an adult does try to have like secrets or like cross boundaries that that's not normal because yeah. I and my their other aunts and uncles don't do that. We don't cross their boundaries. We don't sleep in That's a bed yeah. with them. We don't, you know, we don't do that kind of stuff. We make sure to have like pretty strict. I make sure to have pretty strict boundaries. And I know my other nieces and nephews do. I mean, my other aunt, siblings. But like, we just want to make sure that like, yeah, we've modeled that so that that's not normalized. Because what, honestly, sweet Charlie carries a lot of heavy burdens. And it's fun because he's reading all these books too. Like he's being assigned extra work by his teacher because he loves reading. And it's just like a way for him and his teacher also to like bond a little bit. So he's reading like Catcher in the Rye. He's reading, um, and he loved that book. He read To Kill a Mockingbird and he loved that book. He reads William S. Burroughs. He reads, he re- he's all over the map with his reading. And, um, that's a, a, like a really sweet activity, but it's interesting because he's reading all the banned books. Yeah, he is. That was pretty fun. how important they were for him as he's like processing his high school. And he eventually mm-hmm. gives copies of all those books to Sam and Patrick for their going away presents. Cause he just loves them so much. It was so cute. Yeah. Or was it their Christmas presents? I don't know. Um, I don't remember either. Yeah, I, I love that relationship with the teacher. Like, it could have easily crossed a boundary, but he, like, kept it really professional at school. Yeah. He just gave him extra books to read because he knew Charlie liked to read, and Charlie liked, like, he did them. So he... Yeah. Um, yeah, so he continued to give him more books. And then at the end of the school year, he even invites he invites Charlie over to have dinner with uh, the teacher and the teacher's girlfriend. And really appropriate and like contrasting that with the conversation that Holden had with his teacher I mean I wouldn't say he like I guess the Holden's teacher did cross like a physical boundary by patting his head yeah um but that's still not like a when we're in the context of abuse like yeah yeah but like but like like, but um, Holden was definitely uncomfortable Holden was uncomfortable, and then like Brendan brought up a point, like maybe, maybe something had happened in Holden's past. Yeah, like his trauma response to be flight or just yeah. like immediately escaping the yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, but like Charlie's teacher helped, like just you can tell he could 
read Charlie. You can you can see what type of boy Charlie is. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I assigned these to you because you are, I've never met anyone like you before. Like you're just so brilliant and yeah. so emotional and thoughtful. And uh, like he gets emotional talking to Charlie about it. Yeah. Um, and it's really quite beautiful. It's just like it, this book ha- does a good job of showing appropriate adult relationships with children. Yes. And yes. also calling out the bad ones. Yeah. Like Brad's dad. Everyone talked about how he beat up his son yeah. afterwards because he found out he was gay. Brad's the quarterback, the closeted Brad's quarterback. quarterback. Yeah. yeah. And also we get the history of Charlie's parents' parents and what abuses they'd gone through and why his parents had decided never to hit their kids because mm-hmm. of what they'd experienced and stuff like that. And so like you get a pretty good family tree of how these things happen, that it's not just like a one-off and um, there's a lot of learned behavior and you have to be intentional to stop it. His parents are an example of stopping it. Hopefully Brad quarterback will be an example of stopping it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And, but you also get some nineties stress where like Charlie does beat up Brad's friends when they're beating up Patrick. Like Charlie has mm-hmm. like some aggression stuff. But he's, like, applauded for it because his older brother is, like, a football player. Like, there's a lot of, like, toxic masculinity going on there <laughs> where, like, Charlie, like, blacks out and, be- and like, hits people. Um, it's really interesting. There's so much happening psychologically. I don't even know where to go. But also it feels very of, like, that era of, like, what a man's supposed to be. Even if you don't like sports, you should still be able to carry your own in a fight. Uh-huh. Um, Defend your friends and family. Yeah. Just go ahead. <laughs> Um, excuse me you're so excused god bless you multiple times i I also have to log off yes we gotta go um the last thing i'm gonna say is um chabosky quoted this is why he did it in letters he said that he'd written letters anonymously to Stuart stern who uh made rebel without a cause and then later on Stuart stern found it was chabosky who's writing him all these letters (laughs) And became his mentor. And Chabosky said he found that the most intimate way to talk um, directly to the reader was through letters to convey the highs and lows of being young. One day you're on top of the world and you've had the greatest of times. Then three weeks later, you're terribly depressed. Um, I challenge everyone to read this book. It is so beautiful. It's heavy, but it's also really beautiful. Um, There is explicit um, sexual references. So just be aware, but also um, read it and we'll let you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to add one more thing yeah, to that. Yeah, please. Um, just like these aren't things that high schoolers are not dealing with. Did yeah. I use my words right? No, you are. You, you're you correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you experienced suicide, um, friends, friends who died by suicide in yeah. high school. Uh, I was surrounded by a lot of drug use in high school. Yeah. Um, you hear things about, uh, uh, parental abuse. Yeah. I, I remember hearing that there was a senior prank where they went in and changed everyone's grades and the repercussions of that were, uh, was physical abuse on, on the, um, on some of the children. Um, there are, yeah, those are the ones that I remember most from high school. There's a lot. So, like these are, yeah. these, and like, you can tell, like, the way gay kids are treated in schools, like yeah. this is all, this is high school in, in yeah. a book. 
Yes, 100%. And the famous line, I think Eden has quoted it, and we'll end on that because Eden's right. This is high school. Also, they're like figuring out puberty too. So like, yeah, <laughs> it's very complicated. But um, Eden brought up this line last time, and it is the question of why do people let people love them this way or something? And yeah, we ex- yeah and then the love we think we deserve. Yeah. And that is what the teacher says. And so we see that throughout the book. And I think like, I don't know, there's just a lot of wisdom. Charlie's so wise because he Mm -hmm. sees that in play and realizes that he deserves better and he Mm -hmm. works for it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. Beautiful book. Highly recommend. Um, Yeah. 10 out of 10. uh, One more funny thing. Yes. The fact that Stephen wrote anonymous letters just further like supports my idea that someone wrote to Steven as a dear child. Yeah, probably, honestly. Okay, okay. You you won that battle. I bet they have. And I bet it was like a whimsical teen who just like could not handle, not could not handle, but like was very overwhelmed by their big feelings and their world. Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. And that teen was me, Eden. I did it. I didn't want to call me out. (laughs) Okay. Okay, thank you so much. How do listening thank you for listening how do i exit out even do i just leave burn this book is produced by us nicola corin and eden wen music written by me nicola corin and produced and performed by my dad frank